When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jake Payne. Reggie Williams. What's going on, man? Man, another day in paradise. How about you? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, second week of house arrest is going all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, they took my beeper off today so I can travel freely, but <laughs> I still, I still got to watch where I go and, you know, yeah. back home. Yes, yes. I, How are you uh, doing with that? Good. I, uh, you know, I've been driving around a little bit, but I, um, I'd realize I've only had two conversations with two people in the flesh this week like have more than two but there's only two people i talk to for more than like a minute um and that's wild i mean that never happened before it's crazy right and yeah. uh everybody everybody is like a weapon you know you're looking at everybody as like a threat as you're walking down the street most definitely it's it's scary it's a weird thing you know two yeah. weeks two weeks it took two weeks to completely change our psychology about this stuff yep i never look at a door handle the same <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, well, welcome to episode two of What's the Headline? Uh, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And I'm Jake Payne, editor-in-chief of Ambrosia for Heads. Yeah. Um, so what have you been doing, man, uh, to stay entertainment and stay entertained? I watched Ozark episodes one and two yesterday. Okay, I've been holding out. Three. That's going to be part of my Sunday night. I uh, I have, like, a lot of people have been watching um, Tiger King. I'm five okay. episodes in. Uh, enthralled. Yeah, well, I mean, dude, like, uh, so you're the third person that's told me about this in the last 12 hours. What's the deal? Yeah, I mean, it's, um. so I, the, the main dude, his name is Joe Exotic. I've seen him on something before. I don't know if it was, like, I watch a lot of weird documentaries and stuff like that. But he is a um, like wildlife, like private zoo owner in Oklahoma, and just a wild, wild dude. Like um, you know, no no spoilers or anything like that. But there's this whole like tug of war among people with exotic cats, like lions, tigers, pumas, panthers, stuff like that, about what's ethical and you know who really has the say so. And it's very scandalous. So it's this um, seven part documentary on Netflix. And I'm five episodes in. I finished five. I watched all five last night. Um, and it's literally like all I could think about for the last, uh, you know, 12 hours. Wow. I mean, so is, is that good? Like I should start? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. It's like one of those offbeat documentaries that I, you know, that kind of shows the worst in white folks <laughs> uh, not a, not on a racial level but just like you know this is deep south redneckery um but it's okay but it's it's yeah it, it's just really interesting and, and what i love about this storytelling is you don't necessarily as far as i'm in you don't know who's right other than like man these people are um really exploiting these animals and i'm an animal lover um i've never gone to like any roadside zoos or anything like that but um yeah it's just there's some parts that are hard to watch and other parts are just like you know wildly entertaining hmm. all right i just watched cheer have you seen that no what's that it's another netflix documentary it was like guys maybe three four weeks ago where it's about you know 
national cheerleaders, like uh, college cheerleaders, yeah. and how intense that is. I mean, like broken bones left and right, and like just like just real crazy stuff. Okay. Um, but that was uh, that was one. It's like five or six parts, but it's also pretty crazy, pretty intense. How is um? I know you're only two episodes in, no spoilers, but how's how's Ozark season three so far? Man, it's looking like it's gonna be better than season two. Mm. and maybe up to season one standards like i i, okay. I love season two also you know yeah. and they took it in a great great direction but dude like the first two episodes so far are crazy you're the person who put me on to that show and i'm really excited uh that probably will be you know maybe tonight early part of this week the other thing that i've been doing i encourage everyone to do this um you know there's this platform called canopy and most public libraries interface with it so it's it's like a Netflix or a Hulu or whatever, um, but there's a lot of international, a lot of classic films, a lot of documentaries. It's all free, but they limit how much you can watch a month. And then I think you can pay if you want to go beyond that, which I would encourage anyone to do. But right now on Canopy, um, Time is Omatic is on there, which I hadn't seen um, in full since it dropped, which I've really been enjoying. Um, Stretch and Bobito's Radio That, that Changed Lives is on there. Um, a bunch of, and uh, Copyright Criminals, the sampling documentary. So there's a bunch of really good hip hop content on there. So if anyone's bored or they've reached the end of Netflix or, you know, any of the other platforms, tr check out Canopy. All you need is a library card. Speaking of uh, Copyright Criminals, so it's legal? Canopy? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and um, what did I just see on there that, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of like the educational films, but I hadn't, I think Time is Omatic ran on like Showtime when it first dropped and I hadn't seen it in full. I'd seen like bits and pieces and man, Eric Parker and Nas, like that, that, you know, that documentary is way too slept on. I know it got a lot of hype when it came out, but like, that's something that you could show somebody who doesn't listen to hip hop and they'll appreciate it. Yeah. One nine, the director, um, I worked with him at BET back in the day. And I remember him telling me about that documentary, like, 2010 or something like that really really early and he had been grinding on it for years and years and years and so mm -hmm. it was amazing that it was able to come out around the, the, the anniversary the 20 it was the 20th yeah. anniversary right and yeah it just turned out to be such a, a an incredible documentary i'm really happy for him but yeah it's cool i'm, I'm glad mm -hmm. everybody should see that if they have it if they're not yeah. a fan or just a hip-hop fan in general it's pretty incredible yeah but uh, canopy is totally legit and i imagine there's some sort of benefits that go to the films but a lot of the lot of great documentaries are on there so i highly encourage it and it supports got to get those library uh memberships up so they don't lose uh funding in this current administration man i mean yeah so we're in week two um last week the big story was d nice and that story only got bigger you know we recorded this last sunday and you know saturday night that saturday night he got a hundred thousand people michelle obama I had dropped in Will Smith, Jada Pinkett, I think Oprah. I mean, it's insane. And now, a week later, Dean Lice is literally a national, like, superstar. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he added 1 point, I think, 5 million um, followers to his Instagram. You know, the story has been about him having 150,000 people watching and stuff like that. But as you know, that's not the real story because that was real-time viewers, mm -hmm. you know. And so in terms of unique people watching, I'm guessing just based on our own like you know, analysis of real time versus uniques, he's probably had six, seven, maybe even 10 million people join that party over the course of the week. 
And, you know, he's been on Gail King. He's talked to yeah. Oprah. He's talked to Jimmy Fallon. What's your, what's your take on that one week later? I'm just really, I'm really happy for D-Nice. Um, we talked about it last week, but I feel like he's um, been consistent with the culture and been a bit of an underdog. I mean, I think he's done things on a very high level, but as an MC, as a producer, as a photographer, as a DJ, I just, he never, the flowers don't measure up to the talent. So the fact that he, I think we will always remember, however long this lasts, D-Nice as this touchstone moment um, in terms of, of DJs going live and making people feel community at a time when, you know, we need distractions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just couldn't be happier for him. And he's continued through the week. And it's been amazing things coming out of it. I mean, so on, I think it was Monday when he did it, he and Michelle Obama actually partnered and they were getting people to register to vote. And they got over 300,000 people to register to vote in six hours, which is just mm-hmm. absolutely insane. And then on Wednesday, uh, you know, he had done it, or maybe it was Wednesday that that happened too, but he was done. And I think it was around 10 o'clock or so at night, at least it's 10 o'clock LA time. So uh, it may have been even later East Coast, uh, like one or so. But um, Halle Berry had dropped in. And I don't know if you caught this, but like he saw Halle in and he just started playing slow jams for Halle. He was fun <laughs> for her for like two hours and kept it going. And he was getting giddy because Halle was throwing, throwing love and you know, it, they were flirting. It was pretty, it's pretty dope watching it happen. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've um throughout even you know, the last 10 days I've been popping in on a lot of these um, live DJ sessions of all walks of of music and hip hop. And it's amazing because it kind of reminds you of like people coming in to a club and getting a shout out from the DJ booth. Like obviously D nice was on the highest level. I spent quite a bit of time in quest love who's been going every night this week. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's just like shout it's, it's, in the most digital technological sense, it's kind of a callback to a different time in music and, and club and nightlife culture. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that's happened, right? It, there are a legion of DJs now who have come out and are kind of putting their own spin on this. So you mentioned Quest and he and D-Nice partnered up, you know, Quest does the after party, DJ uh, D-Nice, you know, does the kind of like uh, the, the start of our party. And then DJ Quick, Primo, Static Selecta, Ninth yeah. Wonder, What's, uh, have, have you, you've been dipping in and out of other parties or what's, what's yeah, that? Lord Finesse, which was phenomenally dope. But not just like D nice, you know, guy who does it on every, um, kind of element of hip hop. Um, what else? House shoes, uh, man, all over, um, more will come to me, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been like a club of just popping in and out of different and everyone's got a different playlist, a different vibe, a different crowd but it's been just thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, which ones have you kind of gravitated toward? I really enjoyed Questlove because sort of like D-Nice, there's been a theme to it every night, um, and that's been fun. I really enjoyed Static on Friday night. Static was playing some unreleased joints. Just Blaze has been doing that. Um, Ninth has been great. Um, Yeah, those have been the big ones for me. Um, And I really like last night, it was Lord Finesse, Um, just because that's one of my hip-hop, you know, heroes, so to speak. And I've gotten to see him DJ over the years, but to watch him just have fun, um, that was great. And uh, also uh, DJ Evil D and Mr. Walt, the beat miners, who were really like pioneers in this, as was Maceo. Um, not not this with 
uh, you know, Corona and, and quarantine, but these guys were doing it on Ustream um, like 10 and 15 years ago. And I remember that technology blowing me away. So to watch them, Maceo, uh, his birthday was this week. So he was doing some special stuff with that. Um, it's just great. Like it, I've programmed my mind to stay in and look forward to it every night. And it's, I enjoy it more than even sometimes my, uh, my Spotify or my record collection. Yeah, you know, Quest did an all Stevie Wonder joint last night, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then a couple nights ago I saw him, he was playing some like grimy, like underground hip hop. It's cool to see, you know, these guys flex because, you know, I think even like, you know, we were talking about AFH and how the brand took on uh, a meaning of its own that was beyond us. I think even these guys, you know, they have a, a brand or almost like a, an avatar that people use to kind of define them. But most DJs are music lovers, just like all around. And so it's mm-hmm. cool to see them playing everything. You know, Ninth is, is known as like a DJ with like heavy drums and like deep bass. And, you know, kind of an underground sound, very like uh, authentic boom bap type hip hop. But you see him spin and he loves playing like 80s R&B, you know, yeah. and like 90s R&B. And like, uh, it's cool to see, you know, the the other sides of these guys coming out musically. Ninth was especially dope just because the way he had the camera set up from the side and he, you know, you see the buttons on the mixer and he dimmed the lights. Like, that's important, right? Like, uh, Questlove did it. Questlove's been broadcasting from some cabin in upstate New York. And it's like everyone creates a vibe. DJ Quick was either in his basement or his garage. But, uh, yeah, Ninth definitely sent me down a rabbit hole of, like, Bobby Caldwell, um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, like, I've really enjoyed his mid-70s to early 80s sets. Quest, the same. And then another person that I watched who doesn't really mix, but it's very curated, was Talib Kweli, um, who's been doing it every night and having a theme every night and dropped some really cool annotations with the records, as has Just. And I've enjoyed that, too. Like, when it's not always a party mix, but it's like, yo, I'm going to play some records. And Premier was doing this around his birthday, like, tell you the backstory of them. Um, Premier played some stuff that I've ne- that I don't think's ever come out um which was wild to me so yeah that's crazy you know I was at a party uh, a BT party and uh uh someone who worked there came up to me and she was like yo I saw you DJing the other night and I'm like <laughs> word like because <laughs> I've always wanted to be a DJ right that's my fantasy when I grew up I want to be a DJ but to my recollection, I hadn't been spinning, like, and I yeah. didn't recall a night where it had that many shots, you know, so, yeah. uh, you know, I let it run with it for a minute, and then, like, um, she started talking about my wife and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really know, like, and then it came out, she thought I was Talib, uh, <laughs> which was, <laughs> which wait, was wait, 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 it, it wasn't a white woman, was it? No, there was a black woman, and I right, know cool. exactly who it was. I'm not going to blow her up, but <laughs> yeah. I, used to, I, I, I used to get her about that every single time I saw her, you know, like, you know, uh, you know not Talib, it's Talib, like, Kuali, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yo, um, Timberland and Swiss Beats did another um, beat battle, too. Yeah. Did you, did I, you... I didn't catch it live. I saw a few of the clips that people had grabbed. Um, you know, I listened... Uh, I listened to the Joe Budden podcast and the, the consensus was that Timbo, um, you know, Timbo edged out Swizz. I don't, I don't know. What did you, did you catch it? No, I didn't catch it, but I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, somebody else, uh, I can't remember who it was. Oh, uh, I think it was Hit Boy and Boy Wonder maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. 
did a, a, a beat together, like a, a virtual beat together. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. It's a lot of creativity happening right now. Yeah. I really like, uh, I like that a lot. And, um, yeah, it's just cool. I think we know we're here for at least another week, uh, probably quite a bit longer. Um, it'll be interesting to see it evolve. Um, and I think that I hope that like cream rises to the top. And I, on one hand at first, early in the week, I was like, man, there's a lot of copycats. But on another hand, I'm like, uh, you know what, to command attention, you and I know this from, you know, just web publishing and everything else, you got to be dope. So if people are willing to go live, the numbers are right there. And uh, D nice set a really high standard. And I feel like everybody you can't just go on lazy and expect people to care. So um, I'll be yeah. really anxious to see what happens this week. Did you see did you do it quick at all? I did, and it was wild because I've um I've never gotten to see DJ Quick DJ. Um so he was like playing some of his own records. He played Medley for a V, which is one of my, you know, favorite from the Rhythmalism album. Mm. Um and he was scratching and like doing really technical scratches effortlessly. Right. And and it was cool too, because the night I caught him was the twenty fifth anniversary of Easy E passing. So he was playing some easy records too, which um you know, those guys work together and have some history together. And that was just like really cool to see. So March 26th, 25 years for easy, like 25 years. I mean, you were like, what, like nine, 10 years old when easy E died, something like that. 11. Yeah. Were, were you yeah. aware of who he was when he passed away? I was just coming into, um, you know, that side of hip hop. I was regularly buying CDs, but what I was buying was a lot of, the bargain bin stuff because that's what I could you know I wanted as much bang for my buck so I knew who Easy was but not you know not like I would in the next two or three years because Easy and NWA that's perfect stuff for when you are a uh, you know nine ten eleven twelve year old boy a lot of it but um yeah well, well do you remember where you were that day uh, I remember exactly where I was I was in my law school bedroom in Somerville Massachusetts um, and I was over by my stereo. And I caught it on TV that Easy E had died, and it like it was like it was, it was devastating. Like it was absolutely devastating because you know it happened so quickly. I think um, he had only been in the hospital like a week or so, maybe you know two weeks before it happened, and it was really kind of unclear what was going on with him. I think um, I think they had said it was pneumonia or just said he was hospitalized or something like that. So then to see him die, it was crazy you know, and, um, at the time, like, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it was still not a time. It was 1995, you know, even though magic had come out, um, as being HIV positive still was not really associated to something that could happen to, um, you know, straight men. Um, and so it was, it was just shocking just all around. And for someone as young and vital and brash and braggadocious as easy, you just didn't think that someone like him could succumb to it. You know, it's like Kobe, like whenever like people who seem kind of bigger than life die, it reminds us all that, you know, they're all mortal and it, it reminds mm -hmm. us of our own mortality. And it was, it was hard, man. It was really hard. You know? Yeah. I always think of that story. I mean, it's one of the hip hop legends of, you know, I, I don't have the context of being there, but I always look at easy at the end of his life um, as being this guy who, as we talk about flowers like wasn't getting his flowers like death row had risen 
a lot of, you know, their come up on the chronic and even parts of doggy style were taking, you know, jabs at easy. Um, the label wasn't as strong. I think bone thugs was, was, was certainly buzzing, you know, with the 94 EP creeping on the come up, but it hadn't, you know, it was an easy's wake that I feel like crossroads took on new meaning. So there's that story of like easy running in the cube at the tunnel. Um, in New York and when they parted ways it was a cold snowy night in January and Easy didn't have a jacket and he was walking back to the hotel somewhere in Midtown and you know Cube has even said like you know he wonders if like yo that had any um fact in you know expediting what eventually happened but it's just it's eerie and I was listening to the watcher this morning from you know Dre's second album and he was talking about visiting Easy in the hospital and that and it's very poetic, like how Easy made right with all of these people, but really didn't get to die with the legendary status that I feel like he deserved, at least in his own mind. No, oh, man. I mean, he was literally a punchline when he passed away. I mean, you had like, you know, Dre going at him hard. You had, you know, Cube going at him publicly hard, even though, you know, I'm glad that that scene in, in uh, Straight Outta Compton um, showed that they did get that that final kind of like, you know, time to make peace. And I know we wrote that, we read that, we uh, wrote an article, I think it was based originally on a, a not right piece uh, about that being true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, everyone was going at him. Um, you know, I think he and Jerry Heller had split. I don't think Easy was really sitting on a lot of money at the time. It was just a really hard time for him. Um, it was with his death that, you know, he started to get the recognition that he once again deserves as being a, a true pioneer. I mean, he built that whole mm-hmm. Ice T, you know, well, I mean, School of D, I think, really started the gangster rap. But in terms of the West Coast gangster rap, Ice T definitely started it, but he was like the IBM. And, you know, Easy E was like the Microsoft. He came in and took it and made it into like something that became a global phenomenon. And I don't think that a lot of people really give him his, his props for what he did, not only as uh, a purveyor of culture, but also as a businessman. You know, he was like Russell, mm-hmm. you know, that, that guy who built an empire kind of on his own and did it his way. And yeah, I think the 25th year anniversary is a proper time to, to do that. But I didn't see a lot acknowledging him or that anniversary. Did you? No, and I don't, I mean, I think NWA is forever cool. I mean, I think in 2015 with Straight Outta Compton, there was this renaissance, but I don't know if on his own, Easy gets ever proper recognition. And um, yeah, that just disappoints me. I played some of his music this week, um, just with that in mind, especially after the quick set. But um, yeah, Easy just deserves a lot more credit. I like the way you made the Microsoft IBM comparison. Yeah, why do you think he doesn't? You think it's because of, you know, the business practices? You think that the that this is just like were so uh, powerful that they were kind of like, you know, legacy destroying? Like, what do you think it was? I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Like, this this week I played just straight solo easy stuff. And, and, and the music's classic, but it hasn't – it aged a certain way. Like, you know, it's just so – some of it misogynistic. And I was playing a lot of the songs that I love – when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, and, you know, I'm 36 now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's weird. Well, but and Flea doesn't do so well anymore. Like, yeah, Monica doesn't stand up. I mean, like... Give yeah. me that nut. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's different now. And But at the same time, I mean, like, we're living in a time where we praise UGK. And UGK did that, you know, on a whole other level. And, you know, DJ Quick. So, I don't know. And And honestly, I don't... 
you know, Easy doesn't have a lot of pieces around him to praise him, you know, the way that I think we get that with Death Row and even sometimes even like rap a lot. Um, yeah, it's just an odd, odd, odd call. Um, and you know, yeah. go ahead. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a good, I mean, rap music in general, like, uh, because it's, it's, it's often told from a, a perspective of a teenager mm-hmm. or a person in their young twenties, it's very difficult for it to age well, unless it is. I mean, that's probably why of what makes Illmatic so amazing is because, you know, Nas is talking about life from the perspective of a 17 year old or, you know, however old he was, but it's a very wise and, you know, um, you know, worldly kind of point of view, you know, it's about the ills of society and like what it's like to, you know, grow up as a black man in an impoverished, like, you know, community. So, yeah, I mean, but a lot of rap music isn't like that. So you think that's part of why hip hop doesn't age? Do you think hip hop ages as well as other genres? I think in certain places, but I think you make a great point. I think that's why we will always revere Nas, you know, in a different light than we will Easy or Two Live Crew. Like, I go back and I listen to the, you know, first two or three Two Live Crew albums, and they're great to me, but they're not music that you want to, like, necessarily play for a group of people, um, you know, but you can't overstate their impact. But Illmatic or Reasonable Doubt or Gangstar, you know, um, you know, even Ice Cube's early solo albums, those have aged. You know, uh, Easy Does It, you know, um, and, and some of that other stuff. Yeah, you know, even you said Jay and Reasonable Doubt, even Jay, you know, talks about how, you know, if you, if you want my old shit, buy my old album. I mean, and yeah. how, like, uh, you know, you know, button, you know, went from like, you know, baggy jeans and, and sweatshirts to button ups. And, um, you know, even he recognizes that he still has to mature and grow in his music in order to keep it relevant. Um, uh, it's interesting, you know, it's a real interesting dichotomy. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if there's something unique to hip hop or if, you know, if someone was saying the same thing about rock music, you know, I think back to Guns N' Roses and you and I were trading some Guns N' Roses music about a couple of weeks ago. Um, yo, yeah, you mm-hmm. got the mad freeze frame. Yeah, I, I was just like up in the <laughs> top of your forehead. It's crazy. What about now? <laughs> <laughs> it's good now. Okay. Uh, I'm like a Dolly painting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, um, do you think it's unique to rap music because it is so raw and personal and visceral to like the moment that that moment then gets ca- captured in time and maybe doesn't age as well or does it look like a time capsule or what do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's a little bit worse. I mean, it's funny, like there's classic rock songs that are so problematic, you know, um, what is it? The Beatles, you know, she was just 17, if you know what I mean. Right, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, I like Van Morrison and the Rolling Stones and you can go through all of those catalogs and find things that are just like, whoa, but somehow we accept them versus, um, you know, the opening lines of Dope Boy or Dope Man um, that are just like, yo, you're trading selling drugs for sex. And mm. that's, <laughs> that, that just doesn't, it's it's different now you know i mean we saw what happened with rick ross and reebok and now it's like well do we do the same thing with the classic hip-hop albums you know yeah no it's interesting so um so in order to evaluate 
Easy's legacy, we had to kind of step away from the the lyrical content, which ironically wasn't even his in the first place, right. since he didn't write his own rhymes, right? And look at him as more of an entrepreneur and what he did from a business standpoint. Do you think that's the better way to look at his legacy? Yeah, I think it was even Jerry Heller who always compared Easy to like the P.T. Barnum of rap. Um, and I think that really works. Like Easy knew how to make stuff authentic but sensational at the same time and yeah i mean you know if if you take easy out of the equation um you know is there a game is there a taiga is there a chris brown like you know everything starts to look different as we talk about the what ifs um easy doesn't get the credit but if you subtract him from the equation man hip-hop is very different you know the other thing i think is that uh as great as easy was um, uh, he was eventually overshadowed by both Cube and Dre. You know, Dre, I think especially um, because you know, you know, Dre was the guy who had the, I think, the most vitriolic, and well, both he and Cube went at him. You know, um, but you know, Dre um, was the the guy who they built ruthless. You know, I guess they built it on his back to some degree. It's him and mm-hmm. him and Cube both. Um, and it's interesting, even in this time, they're still kind of like joined at the hip and that, you know, Dre was just, the chronic was just inducted into the, or, you know, going to be uh, recorded into the Library of Congress as a work that it should be preserved forever, um, which is an amazing feat in and of itself. Um, so what does that say? You know, we're, we're talking about these time capsules and how rap ages and yet the chronic, which we know has all sorts of themes that like might not be yeah. acceptable to play in public, you know, or in mixed crowds and things like that is now being uh, put into the institution that is the, the, the holder of all cultural uh, things of significance for us in the, in the Library of Congress. What do you think about that juxtaposition? Yeah, I mean, that's been going on for some time now. And we, you know, I think it was, what, two or three years ago that Straight Outta Compton, um, the album, if I'm not mistaken, was, you know, uh, the Grammy Hall of Fame. And I mean, NWA never won a Grammy. Cube has never won a Grammy, as far as I know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. It's like these institutions are anointing certain albums. Um, and you and I, I mean, we've had conversations over the years of, is that them trying to play catch up? Is it them trying to you know, is the Library of Congress trying to stay relevant in the rap space by picking albums we deem classic? I don't know, but you're absolutely right. There is a juxtaposition, and I feel like out of all of that, um, Easy doesn't get as just due. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is amazing. You know, I listened to The Chronic just actually a week or two ago, and, you know, I've been in L.A., as you know, for the last couple of weeks. It's something different. It feels different to listen to The Chronic in LA while driving and seeing signs for Long Beach and, you know, you know, Crenshaw and Slauson and like all these places that were made famous by, by the album, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that album, it does still transcend, you know, the, the easy stuff doesn't age well, but, but the chronic to me does, um, you know, I don't know if it's based on the soul samples that it used and how Thomas those are, or if it was, you know, there, there are political things, and it like the day you know the the ends went crazy like uh, or, or took, took over, over uh, yeah. took over um, uh, you know which I, I sent you the I think I sent you that a couple of weeks ago is like song of the, of the day just because yeah. 
the world is feeling so crazy right now, you know, um, that song kind of like captured the energy for me. Um, you know, there are a lot of things in that album that I do believe transcend time. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that the Dre stuff ages differently than the, do? Well, first of all, do you agree with that? And secondly, I do. Why? Yeah, I do. And it's funny this week, um, above the law, which is a group I really like their, um, their stuff has long been missing from their complete catalog has long been missing from, you know, Spotify and the like, and somebody I'm not snitching, but somebody it's not ruthless, put up some of their albums and it's black mafia life is one of them, which I think was their third project. And that album, a lot of people say inspired the chronic because Big Hutch, you know, Cold 187, um, and, and Dre had worked together at Ruthless. Hutch starts, you know, sampling P-Funk very extensively through Warren G, through Snoop. There's all these different accounts. Dre hears some of it and builds a chronic around it. And Black Mafia Life is a really good album, but it's not the chronic. And the chronic just has that Dre polish to it. And sure, there's stuff on it that is very problematic, stuff that's like, I skip over some of those interludes and stuff, but it it really does feel like a time capsule. And I say that having been nine years old when it came out, um, you know, it just, it feels like uh, a post LA riots album. It feels like a changing of the guard with West coast rapping, you know, Snoop and corrupt and RBX and rage coming on with this fervor. Um, yeah. It's just a, it's just a really high quality album that I don't know even with easy solo debut, if you're getting on that, even though those are great, meaningful works of art, the chronic is just a benchmark. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I see Ron pays kind of, uh, launched West coast gangster rap and it did become national, but it was largely regionalized, right? It was mostly music for Cali from mm -hmm. Cali, easy NWAQ, took that and and really made it national but it was still very underground it wasn't getting radio play you know um you know straight out of compton did get on mtv as a video but it was your mtv raps and still very very kind of like um you know um it was it was still something that was um underground and and not really mainstream it was uh rebellious but then the chronic came out and made it fully top 40. I mean, it was mm -hmm. suburban. It was soccer moms. It was like everywhere. It was pervasive and it was pop music. And so the chronic completely changed the face of rap music. It made it something that you could listen to at a barbecue or a wedding or, or whatever. And no one would raise an eyebrow, you know? So it was just a different kind of cultural touchstone as when hip-hop went mainstream um and for it to be gangster rap is just so so crazy you know um yeah and bad boy you know became kind of the motown of that you know um whereas the music you hear at weddings you know 25 years later and stuff like that but um i'm happy that it's in the library of congress i think it is is absolutely deserved and a great thing for hip-hop but it is interesting to kind of look at it, you know, thematically, you know, just stepping back and looking at it and understanding, you know, not only the importance, but like just thinking about like um, how it is different from some of the easy stuff, you know. So you made a really interesting point about easy um, with AIDS in 95, you know, 94, 95, about it being a wake up call. Do you, um, so this week, 
uh, Scarface, Brad Jordan, um, you know, announced that he'd been infected with the coronavirus. Do you draw any parallels between that? Since I think this is the first, you know, there's been Idris Elba and there's different people that have been, you know, in the landscape of hip hop lifestyle coverage, but this is the first hip hop artist that I know that has it. Um, do you draw any parallel there? Yeah, to some degree. Yeah, to some degree. Um, you know, um, with the coronavirus, there was that myth uh, rolling around just a couple of weeks ago that, that black people weren't getting it, you know, and then um, uh, for the black Superman, you know, Idris Elba to get it is like, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> oh, okay, you know, yeah. and when it started taking down NBA players and all that, it was like, okay, this is serious. Like none of us, you know, not young people, not, not people of a certain race, not, you know, no one is immune to this. We all need to take it seriously, you know, and to see face and talking about like, he'd never experienced anything like that and feeling like he thought he was going to die and everything. Like my, like my greatest fear is that, um, you know, we see people dying um, of all ages and everything, but, for some reason, when famous people die, it has a different impact on people. I think it's because they can personalize it. That to other people, it's just it's just names that they don't know. Mm-hmm. But even if people don't know these celebrities personally, they feel like they know them because they've been a part of their lives for so long. I think that if and when a young famous person uh, passes away from this, it's going to set up a whole different level of panic. You know, yeah. and um, you know, I think that for hip hop, if you're a I know for me as an NBA fan, I was on a plane actually flying from New York to LA when the whole Utah jazz thing went down and they suspended the NBA like real time. And it was like, whoa, that's when it really, really hit me. And so I think for fans of hip hop, if we were to have a star perish, that would that would just be it'd be devastating. I think it would really, you know, set off alarm bells. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And, and you know, this, this weekend is the one year anniversary of uh, Nipsey, you know, and it's amazing when tragedy happens, how it turns into a wake up call. And I'm glad that the, you know, the story as it stands right now is, you know, Scarface is infected, but on the mend versus the alternative. But yeah, it, I mean, it's just, it is, you know, along with everything else, like people I know are getting infected it's just yeah it's just a reminder and it's eerie and i wish you know face and everyone else um fast recovery one year since nipsey that's march 31st right yeah yeah man that's that's crazy like um i mean so much has happened in that year you know Mm -hmm. um you know when nipsey passed away i think you and i both talked about it like it felt like um it hit people harder than any death I can remember in hip hop, maybe since like Tupac. Like, um, I don't really, I, you know, it, it, and that's not to diminish any anyone else who's died. It's just that the reaction was different. Um, what do you think, what do you think caused that? Is it because it was the, 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 the first like kind of violent death or oh, XXX Tentacion, but XXX yeah, I mean, is as mainstream as, as Nipsey yet, but what, what do you think? No, and there's Jam Master J, and and I do think I not to disagree with you, but I think Biggie was a huge touchstone moment, which obviously yeah, was yeah, six yeah, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, yeah, I, that era. It it was a wake up call to me, um, because 
as much as I liked the music of Nipsey and I had gotten to know Nipsey, um, not well, but I did his very first press bio in, in 2005 or 2006. I, uh, my estimation of him was still smaller than what he meant to folks that are 10 years younger than me. Um, and I can say this as a white man, I think my estimation of Nipsey was different than what he represented to um, some folks of color, you know, in terms of buy back the block. And, you know, there was a huge social aspect to it. Um, and I remember you and I talking, like, how long will this morning last? And truly, I think it's lasted through the year. Um, and I think that Nipsey continues to be um, a point of inspiration for a lot of people. I mean, we saw the JAB Sides concert dedication and, um, you know, all of these different uh, points of tribute. It, it just was different. And I hope that it, I mean, obviously, we're coming off of Pop Smoke and but I really hope that it has hip hop looking at um, safety differently and um, how we talk about violent themes differently. Yeah, you know, I think that um, certain deaths hit more because of the sense of lost potential. Yeah. You know, um, Nipsey, well, Tupac, I believe people believe that that Pop was going to be much more than just a rapper. Like uh, mm -hmm. he was already showing his, his promise as an actor, but I think that people really saw him as potentially being an activist that could have made tremendous change in the world uh, beyond just his music, but like through his actions and deeds. Um, I think that Nipsey was like that too, because Buy Back the Block wasn't just a tagline with him. He was doing it. You know, he was, you know, at his place of business, a, a place that he owned when he, you know, was killed. And I think that people saw him as becoming something like that. And he was just starting to be able to spread his message on a mainstream level with his album and, you know, affiliation with, with, with Rock Nation and all that stuff. I think that, like, people believe that his life was cut short right when his potential was really starting to manifest. And that's a really painful proposition, you know. I think that um, L.A. especially more than felt his loss up until Kobe, you know, I think um, once Kobe died, like, uh, you know, people started to feel it acutely again. Um, and then the COVID thing kind of cut that short. Like, but yeah, it's been a, it's been an incredibly sad and intense year in a lot of different ways, you know. Very much so. Very much so. And yeah, I mean, Nipsey, maybe differently than Biggie or Pac or ODB or Jay, Jam Master Jay, like we learned more about what he had going on behind the scenes in his passing, which was all the more painful, you know, and especially to die under those circumstances when he was standing for peace and unity and all of these other things was just super, super devastating. Yeah. But his music has gotten the proper shine over the last year, especially, you know, NBA 2K, um, you know, the album like, incredibly well received, um, you know, he lives on, his legacy lives on. And so that's a great thing. Uh, yeah. So what have you been listening to this week? What's, what's kind of caught you uh, culturally? Oh, you mean on the new front? Yeah. So I, uh, I really like this um, Conway, the machine alchemist. Uh, so far they've only put out a single um, with Schoolboy Q, mm -hmm. which is I blink called shoot sideways. And actually on Friday night, um, as we talk about these DJ chat, you know, DJ live streams, um, Static Selector played the, uh, 
the song with Cormega. So it's it's Conway Cormega on an Alchemist beat, and it's just like nuts. I can't wait. I think that project drops either tomorrow or on Friday. I think everything's kind of movable, but I, that I really liked. Um, yeah, that's that's been the A one. What about you? You know, I, I really dug into the Childish Gambino album over the course mm-hmm. of the week, and I, I love that album. I think it's really funky and soulful and i think it's something that's going to transcend and be around for a long time it's going to sound great in five ten years mm-hmm. um you know i started listening to the party next door album too you know yeah. that, that dropped and uh it's great you know i think if you like singing drake then you know it's <laughs> very much like along those lines you know i downloaded i haven't checked out though yet jeezy and Jordan lucas um and knowledge also, but I want to, I want to take those out. And I think, so my prediction is there are going to be a lot of babies born in about 10 months. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of great albums dropping in the next, like, you know, three to six months. Cause everyone's just pent up and like looking for, for outlets, whatever they can find creative and otherwise. I wonder if there'll be divorces too. <laughs> <laughs> there'll probably be that, be that too. Um, be a lot of that. Yeah. I have not, I checked Joyner yet. I want to do that. Joyner strikes me as somebody that you need to listen to end to end with an undivided attention span. I checked out a party. I checked out knowledge um, and have been hearing great things around knowledge. Uh, the comparison I made with a friend of mine who was talking about it is it's sort of like a donutsy chop, but instead, whereas Dilla went with like sixties and seventies R and B and soul and, you know, his spatial stuff, knowledge is like nineties R and B, like what he chops, which is really cool. Um, the other thing I've been listening to is this guy, Larry June, um, his new album, which is, is really cool. He's been back and forth between the Bay and Atlanta and it has like a currency burner, like, you know, smoky vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week we heard the first two joints from run the jewels from their fourth album. Yeah. what do you think of that? It's crazy to see them with, um, premier and Greg nice. And from what I understand, premier just did the scratches on it. But what I love about run the jewels is on every project, they go get that surprise feature, you know, Gangsta Boo or Prince Paul, um, Zach De La Roca. And uh, yeah, I mean, Greg Nice is a master of ceremony. And so to hear him and Premier kind of do the, you know, the Dwick chemistry was dope. Um, I'm eager to hear more, but I've been very curious about RTJ4 for a while. So I liked what I heard, but it's, I often find the songs of theirs that I really like are never the singles. It's the stuff that's kind of in between. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been looking forward to and I'm hoping doesn't get completely shelled is this RTJ Rage Against the Machine uh, concert. Yeah. I I think that's just going to be absolutely phenomenal, just their energy. And so, you know, them doing a track with Zach is, I think, a nice preview of that. Yeah. Their live show is just nuts. And I've gotten to see them probably four or five times during the duration of the group. Uh, RTJ, I've never gotten to see Rage. So um, I don't think they're coming to Philly, but that's one I would I would travel for. Yeah, well, they're coming to New York. I mean, so should come up like uh, I think that's end of July. Uh, let, let's check that out together. Like yeah, some of the yeah. other stuff has passed. It'd be yeah. Cool. Amen. You know, uh, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention was, you know, we're talking about NWA and Easy and, and Dre. But Cube has also been in the news in the last week. Um, he announced, I think it was yesterday, that he's partnering with the people who do Big Brother in the mall, the TV show. Okay. And they're going to do a quarantine version of Big Three where they have 
16 um, big three players, uh, referees, and other and coaches all quarantined in a house, Big Brother style. And they're gonna they're gonna shoot the drama that happens about them living in the house, but they're also gonna have like big three tournaments. Which okay. It's called Big Brother Big Three version, which is kind of crazy. Um, what do you think about that? That's though. I've admittedly I've never watched an episode of Big Brother, um, but what I love is like how hard Cube pushes with Big Three, and it seems to be working. He's constantly innovating to the point where I know even over All Star, he's like, "Yo, the NBA keeps biting me." Yeah. Um, but I love that. I mean. I, I've gotten a real kick as we talked about TV about um, watching some of these things happen from home. I've been watching some of Trevor Noah's monologues from like his home home office, and uh, that's dope. But you you probably follow Big Brother. Tell me what it means to you. I mean, I, I, I saw like the first season of Big Brother, so that part like doesn't excite me. But you hit on it. Like for me, it's, it's Cube and how much he's he's innovated and how much he hustles with Big Three. And I did think about that NBA thing because the first thing I thought was, ah, interesting, if this works out, I could see the NBA doing this themselves where they're quarantining teams, um, you know, of players and having many tournaments and stuff like that, which would be crazy because, you know, I, I think for me, like one of the biggest voids I think is like, man, like I'm home and, you know, Netflix is cool and everything, but I actually want to watch some NBA games right now. And yeah. Not being able to do that is significant. So, like, him filling that void, I think, is big. Interesting. Yeah, I saw they, uh, I saw they closed down a lot of the courts in New York. Bobito put that on Instagram. It's wild. In West Philly, I drove by the other day, and I saw there were, like, 40 kids playing pickup basketball. And um, on one hand, my first thought was, like, oh, God, be careful. <laughs> yeah. But on another, I'm like, I can't fault these kids. Like, it's beautiful weather. It's March. And there's no sports anywhere to be found. Yeah, you know, um, in New York, and I think they're going to start doing it here, they're actually taking basketball goals down. Yeah. Yeah, because people just are, are, are not, you know, they're not adhering to the, the lockdown. So it's crazy times. Yeah, you said it. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, what else uh, What else have you caught uh, in the last? Anything? Oh, oh, Erica Badu. I watched Erica Badu. Uh, she did a live concert stream and she did kind of a tip jar approach where she had, she charged everyone who came to watch it a dollar, but she did a, a concert in her bedroom. And it was cool because, you know, she's talking about how they prep for three days and everything. They worked with Google uh, and YouTube to like, you know, get the stream happening and everything. She had the backup singers and musicians in her bedroom, probably like 10 feet from her. Um, they all had on masks. Um, you know, and she was just, she was doing battles. She was preparing two of her songs, having the fans vote on which song they wanted her to play, and then she would just play that song. And okay. you know, she was just making jokes and cracking and everything. It was like literally just like being, attending almost like a rehearsal. Um, mm -hmm. so as an Erica Badu fan, it was incredible. And obviously the music is great, but it was just really interesting seeing her work. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. That's amazing. I haven't caught any, but I, I understand like a lot of artists are doing these concerts like that. And that's just, that's too dope. And between the tip jar and, and, you know, and that's another thing too, is it brings awareness. Like it is, it is not cool to leave the house right now. Like, you know, and, and there was a couple times, I mean, I haven't been, you know, I've, I've truly been social distancing, but if I like put a photo up on Instagram, that's clearly outside. I've had people like scold me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love that these artists are doing it, you know, Questlove partnered with Amazon and they were raising, um, you know, relief money. And, you know, there's been a lot of interesting ways of kind of 
passing the hat. I saw Royce um, was doing a PayPal thing of like, if you appeal to him that you're in need, they were like crowdsourcing money and giving people checks, um, you know, whatever works and whatever engages. But on a musical standpoint, that's dope. I hope Erica, if uh, she does something like that, text me because I will tune in. Yeah, well, it was like, it, it didn't even start until like uh, 12 o'clock Eastern time, uh, midnight. Oh, wow. So I'll text you, but, you know, yeah, all right. <laughs> now, Especially of, right now. <laughs> speaking of Royce, he was on Drink Champs the, the other week. And, um, you know, one of the things he said was the first time he ever talked to Pharrell, they battled. He was on a phone call with Pharrell and like, um, you know, like five other people and they, and they, they battled. Like, uh, mm-hmm. but that'd be crazy. Can you imagine that? It sounded to me like almost like that pun and like, you know, DMX and Mike Geronimo type scenario. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't imagine that. And yeah, it was interesting. They, I, a lot of people don't listen to Rock City. Um, I actually did Street Team on that album. I was in high school and that was a really dope project. I, first of all, I enjoyed the conversation so much on Drink Champs of talking about Royce's early days. There's a great story of them trashing uh, Tom Silverman's <laughs> apartment yeah. in New York. But um, yeah, I had forgotten how involved the Neptunes were on Rock City. And yeah, and, and, and both Nori and, and Royce were talking about just how competitive Pharrell is like, like that and how um, confident he is. I, I really like those stories a lot. That To be a fly on the wall for that battle would be nuts. Yeah. You know, and then uh, so far in the wall, too, like one of the things I wanted to talk about last week that we missed was um, the Mike Tyson M&M conversation. Okay. You know, did, did you see that? No, I didn't. And I saw some people online hating that it wasn't, that it was like great guests, not a good interview. So I want to hear you because I trust your opinion on that much more. Yo, it was crazy. Like okay. it was not a good interview because like, uh, I don't know if something was going on with Mike. I don't know if he was like like super high or what, but he was like really laid back and kind of almost like kind of in his head and quiet and like, you know, and almost kind of menacing in his questions, you know, and M who's not, you know, M is not like an extrovert, you know, Marshall is yeah. not like a super loquacious dude, you know, uh, but it was him like trying to carry the conversation. So that was wild to watch, like, you know, because people are just uncomfortable with silence. Yeah. But toward the end, Man, Mike was he was saying some wild stuff, but also dropping really, really, really deep, insightful gems. You know, okay. um, I'll just tell you a couple I wrote down. He said, most successful people are insecure megalomaniacs. You know, um, he said it's, it's that, you know, it's that like insecurity that always having to prove that they're worthwhile that drives their greatness. Yeah, and it's the ego that, that like that spikes that, that likes the that puts a lot of fluid on it, you know. And he was asking Eminem what he thought about that. And so it was cool to see Mike talking about himself that way. And and, you know, then Mike also said that he was really good at relapsing, you know, and like kind of commended him for like staying sober for I think nine years or something like that. Yeah. Um he also said that what made him a great boxer was disastrous for his life because what made him a great boxer was the instinct the desire to just like dismantle a person to just truly like you know like kill someone and you know if you think about that that's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be in life you're supposed to be social you're supposed to be you know constructive get along with people and stuff like that and so you know the irony is that the thing that made him famous and you know made him great is also the thing that like eventually kind of took him down in terms of being a citizen of society. Uh, you know, and then um, 
also talked about, because Eminem asked him what it was like, what his headspace was like when he walked into the ring. And he said he was mm-hmm. scared. He was scared. He said um, he was scared. when Always or just later on? Always. Always. Oh, wow. Because, you know, you're literally going to get into a fight with someone. Like, you know, people think about, but you're, it's, it's called a fight for a reason, you know, and you have to be, you know, sadistic in a, in a way and, and like, you know, it's kill or be killed. And all of that scared him, you know. Um, it was a really, really uh, interesting and insightful interview, I think, more so just from like uh, getting into Mike's head and seeing, you know, things from his perspective. But it was it was super deep, you know. But yeah, as an you know, one of the things yeah, as a classic ahead. interview where like it's a listening, great conversation and back and forth and stuff like that. It definitely was not that. It was more just like fascinating from an insight standpoint for me. One of the things I've realized, and, and I want to, um, I saw that there's an upcoming episode of that where Tyson interviews Dre, mm-hmm. and you know, Dre Dre's done one interview that I really remember in recent memory, and that was with LL on uh rock the bells and so like tyson and dre i really look forward to it might be the same but one thing that i didn't realize i mean mike tyson is dumb smart like Mm. he's a really good he's a really like watching him on ggn or watching him on smokebox like all of the the press run that he's done in recent years he's a great storyteller and i i i'm of the you know being 36 i remember watching mike when he was on top of the game i was a young kid but you also remember like Keenan Ivory Wayans spoofing him on a living color and like Mike being this kind of punching bag of of like what's going on with his mental and I think that Mike is much smarter than I ever realized just from watching even when he's higher than a Georgia Pine yeah yeah all right well I got one more thing I want to uh chop up with you before we take off and that is Mm -hmm. Pusha T mentioned recently just kind of as an aside in the interview that he's got a whole file drive full of uh, joints with Madlib. So uh, what do you think about that as a musical proposition, like a, a Pusha T Madlib album? I mean, I think it'll be dope. It's funny enough, I listened to um, I listened to some of Bandana this morning. Um, I think it'll be really cool. I um, Yeah, I mean, and it's, that all stemmed out of Madlib did this like eight minute interview with Complex where he kind of leaked that, um, and then Pusha kind of affirms it and is like, "Yo, we have we have these joints." I really hope it happens, but um, I would tell you that I'd like the Madlib joints to be um, on the more on the more aggressive side, like maybe less like smoky jazz and more like jabby just like pushes delivery which madlib certainly has done throughout his career um but if you think about like no more parties in la i mean come on put you on a beat like that that would be insane you know um palm olive was one of my favorite songs on pinata it, it probably is my favorite song and hearing push it go in on that like just was mm-hmm. just he was i thought he was in his best form since daytona like and so for me that was that was the more soulful like you know um, you know uh, nighttime laid back and smoke kind of music that like I, I just thought that that was a great match so if it's if it's more stuff like that like I'm I'm there for it I think it's going to be amazing if it happens. Yeah, I pure speculation. Nothing informs this, but you know Madlib and Freddie Gibbs have already said 
there's a third volume in the installment. Pinata, Bandana, Montana is the third. And, you know, I, I feel like they're part of a space in hip hop. You look at the Black Star, you know, sophomore album that's hopefully coming soon with Mad Lib on production. I could totally see the third the third uh, volume being a collaborative thing because that's very much Mad Lib spirit. Um, you know, Freddie Gibbs did a whole album with Currency and Alchemist less than two years ago. I don't know anything. I'm just reading the tea leaves, but I'm like, yo, watch it turn into something that really excites the brand. Yeah, yeah. All right, so to close it out, what's, what's your song of the week, Ben? Um, that's a really good question. I've been playing a lot of UGK, like uh, Riding Dirty, Dirty Money, UGK. I am going to say good stuff, which, uh, man, Pimp and Bun rapping over uh, uh, the Fatback Band Backstroke. That'll always be one of my favorite UGK moments. I've just been heavy rotation with that. What about you? Well, you got you got me looking super soft now. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> no judgments, no yeah. judgments. But uh, you know, I've been waking up and like for whatever reason, no guidance. You know, uh, Drake and and uh, Brown. Chris Brown has been in my head. Like uh, I don't know what it is, but like uh, yeah, I like that song a lot, and that's been like uh, heavy rotation at least in my head. You know. That's good. It sounds like you're having more fun than maybe I am. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just like Drake Floyd and me do. True. Uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, one last thing. I don't know if you've caught it yet, but Dave, the little Dicky show. Mm-hmm. First yeah. episode only. Um, I was really impressed and surprised at um, just how authentic it was, like from managers to like personalities to um i've never i've never been a rapper but i've definitely relate to uh little dicky and just like walking into the studio and having somebody think you're delivering food (laughs) um um, but i liked it and i can't judge it on the first episode obviously i liked it but to me that was exposition for anyone who's never listened to you know a dicky rap song or doesn't know dave's story that catches you up but i think what is there they're up to five now up to five, uh, you know, do definitely get, to, I think by the time you get to episode three, episode three will reel you in because it's just so outrageous and hilarious. Episode four was really funny too. I, I watched that last night. What I've heard is episode five takes a turn and completely changes the tone of the show, but in a great way. Um, so yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. I think you'll dig it. By next week, I'm going to probably have caught up on Ozark and that. So I got work to do this week. I'm not mad at this quarantine at all. Word, word. All right, man. Uh, you know, one last thing. I was saying to someone recently, you know, to me, this feels like the first days of AFH, you know, where I was like literally writing to like, you know, two or three people a month, something like that, mm-hmm. and inclusive of me. Um, and so, but just doing it for the purity and for the love of it, you know, so um I really dig it. You know, it doesn't matter to me how many people watch, listen, you know, for those who do, I hope they get something from it. But it's it's cathartic uh, in these times of quarantine, you know, for me. So, yeah, pretty good. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I've been shocked at how many people hit me over the last week and were like, yo, I tuned in. I like this. I like you talking about that. I like what Reggie had to say here. So, man, um, yeah, it's cathartic because 
this is the longest conversation I've had in the last week that I can remember. So that's crazy. I'm sorry, my condolences. <laughs> <laughs> I know you think I'm an incel, but yeah. <laughs> And by the way, I think it's been brought to my attention that you have that definition wrong. You know, that's, it's not exactly, you know, I'm not, let's be very clear on that. You know? No, I had it right. You just didn't fully understand my reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's, right. that's eye-opening right there. Wow. All right. All right, man. Let it. Have a good week. Peace. You too.